comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everybody, and welcome to the Long Box of Doom, episode 262. Wow, that's a lot. And this time out, Comics BS. We have read a lot of comics, and it's been a while since we've had a full-on comic show talking about what we've been reading lately, and uh, this will be the first This will be the, uh, the first time out uh, for our, our new uh, our, um, Long Box of Doom virgin, Chub Toad, um, talking comics with us, uh, you know, what he's been reading lately. So, And joining us is, of course, the... Um, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Russ L. Latham. Good evening, sir. Hey. Well, guys, we've, we've, uh, we've had quite a summer of movies so far. We've had quite a summer of television so far, what was Shield and Arrow. We've had, you know, everything. Let's talk some comics, man. I've been dying to talk comics for a while. I've been reading a ton of stuff. Go, somebody pick something. Go. Uh, one of the things I've been reading. Uh, that I've actually been wanting to read for a while is uh, Peter David's All New X Factor, and I I really like it. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to like it at first because of the premise. So the 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 premise behind it is the Serval Corporation has bought the naming rights to the to X Factor from uh, from Jamie Madrox, and so he's turned it into this corporation where he's hired Lorna Dane. Um, he's hired Gambit, and they've picked up Quicksilver, and uh, they're slowly picking up other members. So th- the first arc is kind of like getting the band together and bringing the team in, and it's it's kind of cool. I mean, the art is by Carmine. I'm going to probably butcher this, but Carmine D. Giandomenico. Say that three times fast. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only the only complaint I have about the book, I think the art itself is really good. I'm not really happy with the coloring on it. So Lee Lothbridge is doing the coloring, uh, and when you look at the actual line work, the line work is is really solid. Um, but the coloring just has this weird feel to it. I can't I can't really explain it. Um, it's it's a lot of muted tones, a lot of monochromatic stuff going on. Um, but it's 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 a kind of a cool concept of this whole. X Factor as a corporation, which we kind of, I mean, you know, they went from before from being a private investigating firm to now they're like this full blown corporate entity. And, uh, and it's kind of funny because Havoc is a little jealous because Polaris is on the team. So he has Quicksilver spying on, on, uh, on what's going on for him. And, uh, so that, that's kind of a cool thing. And I'm also waiting for kind of the other shoe to fall. They haven't really, put anything out there to say that the serval corporation is doing something nefarious but something they are in a comic book of course yeah (laughs) yeah 
I read this as well, Russ, and I agree. And and I mean, it's pretty obvious that something is not uh, not okay. There's something stinks. Yeah, with yeah. These corporations for sure. But but again, it's Peter David. It's X Factor, uh, so it's really cool. It, I didn't know if I would like an X Factor book, honestly, written by Peter David that didn't have uh, Madrox in it. Uh, but but this is actually really good. And uh, the, the only thing, and and Rich, maybe you could chime in is that he doesn't seem to have Gambit's voice down very well. Like, Gambit doesn't sound like Gambit. Gambit just sounds like a regular dude. He He's the only one out of the team that I feel that he's not capturing the voice of the character very well at all. And, I, I mean, when you take what he's doing with Quicksilver, I mean, Quicksilver was never much of a of a big draw for me. I like the way he does Quicksilver in here, and then, of course, with the recent movie and everything else, I'm now becoming a big fan of this character, but it started with the way he's writing the character here. But I agree, Gambit just seems a little vanilla. You know, Peter David wrote the best Quicksilver story ever, uh, the one where he's talking to Doc Simpson, when the X-Factor all getting the reviews. That's the best Quicksilver story I've ever read in my life. It's awesome that Peter David is still writing X-Factor after all these years of putting his, you know, um, you know, years in on the title on that, and he's still coming up with new ideas and new ways to use his characters. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I guess at this point he's probably written, because it started with the revamp, and that went 50 issues, and then they renumbered it back to the 200s, and it went up to two, I forget, two, 220s, 230s, maybe even 240s, and now this is, is started over again. So he's he's, at this point, written... You know, almost a hundred, if not over a hundred, issues of X Factor. So, uh, and that's not including his, you know, previous run from the old from the old book. But, uh, but yeah, it's good. But and part of the thing with Gambit, I guess, why it doesn't bother me is after a while, that whole Cajun thing gets a little irritating. It's kind of yeah. like, kind of like Rogue Southern thing. You know, they kind of dial it up and dial it down occasionally. But I just think all the time, it just it's it just turns out to be a bit much when you're trying to read it. So. It doesn't bother me too much, but it's just something that's uh, stuck out to me. But uh, but I'm think I'm, of the old X Men cartoon where they did those accents yes. like way too heavy. You know? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I, I I highly recommend all new X Factor. I uh, I know I've been a big uh, proponent of these comics for a long time, but I really have to talk about Harbinger Twenty Three from Valiant. Valiant is putting out. Excellent comics. If you haven't been reading them, check them out. Especially Archer and Armstrong. Um, Shadow Man End Times has been really good. And Harbinger 23, a character dies. The Solid Feces hits the Rotary Oscillator in a huge, huge way with a lot of repercussions. I mean, uh, Joshua, Joshua Dysart's writing. Uh, Clayton Henry and Kari Evans are on the art. Um, just like It was a really huge, pivotal issue for you know people who have been following all, all along. Um Big showdown between you know two of the bigger forces of, of Harada and, and Peter Sanchek, and uh, it's just really a great uh, comics. It's, it's good stuff, and I wish more people would you know, check them out and give them a chance on uh, the Valiant titles. But uh, especially Harbinger Twenty Three, it just came out this week. It was a, it was a, a game changer in a major way. I'm way behind on my Valiant, um, and I, I pretty much I know we talked about it before, but I pretty much read the Valiant stuff as it goes on sale through Comicsology. Right, I uh, usually do too. There, um, Archer and Armstrong and Harbinger, I usually get right when they come out. 
and then the rest I wait and you know trade wait or uh, or wait till the sales and comicsology. I haven't really been reading anything by Valiant, so I'm kind of lost as to what you're talking about. So I may have to check that out. Yeah, it's like a cohesive universe, but it's not it's not like bogged down with its own continuity. Like each thing, each book works on its own, but it's. It, it, I guess the biggest. I, I guess I, I've talked about this before. I compare it like to Marvel, the Marvel universe in the '60s. Like they're building a world bit by bit, you know. Okay. And the books all have different flavors and different tones, but like uh, they're all all definitely part of the same world. And uh, the Unity crossover they had just recently, they just wrapped up, was really cool as well. But uh, I've been giving them a chance uh, here and there. And actually, it was last year at Heroes Con that I really like took the plunge and I talked to you know, the guys who brought back Valiant and like what they're trying to do and everything. And I really kind of uh, been, you know, kind of following them ever since. Uh, but yeah, that last issue was just great, great comic stuff. Another, um, another um, side, you know, not from the big two that I've been really digging lately. Uh, Dynamite comics has relaunched the gold, some of the gold key characters. And they used to be actually under Valiant, but they're not anymore. Um, and I've been reading two out of four of those. Uh, Frank Barbier, who did Five Ghosts. Did you guys check out that book? No, that was a one on high on John's list. I know. Yeah, that book is awesome. It's like imagine if Indiana Jones could channel the abilities of five different spirits who are like five different people from history, like a, a martial arts fighter, or you know what I mean. It's just a really cool, pulpy book. It's just really good stuff. And he's writing Solar Man of the Atom. He's kind of really, and I know they've like read. Re- you know, I've booted this character several times in the past, but his take on it is really good. His writing is really excellent. And then Mark Wade is doing um, the Occult Files of Dr. Specter, which kind of recasts Dr. Specter as almost like the Tony Stark type uh, narcissistic genius, almost like Tony Stark in the first Iron Man movie before Pepper kind of softened his edges. Um, he has a reality show where he hunts down like actual supernatural beings, and he's like world famous guy. But he's also kind of a, um, a wreck emotionally, and uh, his um, his uh, personal assistant is a ghost. Uh, <laughs> huh. um, he has a reality show where they follow him around while he kills uh, vampires and stuff. He he in the I'm not going to spoil too much, but in the first issue he confronts this vampire, and he actually has a satellite that he can use to direct uh, a beam of uh, pure sunlight from a mirror uh, onto <laughs> onto this vampire to take him out. Uh, he's like one of the most popular reality TV show uh, guys in, in this universe that Mark Wade set up. And it's it's a really cool book, The Occult Files of Dr. Spectre. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, it's cool to see those characters kind of repurposed. They're also bringing back Solar, or, or Turok, uh, with Greg Pak writing, and then uh, Magnus uh, with Fred, Fred Van Lente uh, writing that. So the, those four characters from Dynamite. I really, like I said, I read Solar and I read Dr. Spectre, and I thought they were both pretty solid. Interesting, because I know Dark Horse took a turn at those a while back, mm-hmm. and they didn't last very long at all. I no. think they lasted less than six issues or something like that, and then they got canned. So no. hopefully this they'll have better luck with uh, with Dynamite. Yeah, and well, um, Dynamite is already kind of like, there's a hint in the Dr. Spectre book that all four books are linked in the same universe. Huh. So there may be some crossovers in the future. Well, that's the thing is, uh, and I'm not sure uh, how many issues, it's only like one or two issues in, right? Each character. Right. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Spectre just came out the first issue, and then Solar, uh, I think I only read issue one. Because so. I remember reading, oh gosh, three, four months ago, maybe longer back, uh, that Mark Wade he's not just writing the one title, he's also the mastermind of all four characters. He's mapping out several story arcs, I guess. 
Well, it's also good news for me. I love Mark Waite. So, oh, I do too. So, um, I didn't realize those had dropped already. So, I'm gonna have yeah. to go back and grab them. So, because I was looking forward to that. Um, well, I have been reading mostly the big two lately. There's a few indies that I've been reading, uh, mostly going back and reading stuff that I've never read before. But uh, I find myself leaning more towards Marvel nowadays. As a matter of fact, I think I only buy one or two DC yeah. titles anymore. And It's funny because when we, we started Legion of Deeds, um, we all read a bunch of DC titles. Like we read, we did uh, yeah. like month by month uh, things on the Green Lantern uh, Corps and the Sinestro War and all that when it happened. Um, we, we all read a lot of DC titles. And now I think I'm the only one that reads any DC and I read pretty much only the or no, um, um, Russ does too. We read the Beyond, yeah, uh, Batman yeah. Beyond, Justice League Beyond, and I also read uh, Injustice, um, uh, Gods Among Us, which is actually a really good comic for being a tie into a video game. Yeah, the mm. art's a little uneven in places, but yeah, yeah. the story is real solid though. It yeah. just seemed to me like that they, they've killed the Justice League franchise. So I haven't even read Beyond or any of that because I had already given up on anything Justice League, anything Superman. Uh, it's gotten to the point where they're canceling the books that I do like. Yeah, um, well, I mean, they, the one book that I really championed for a long time was um, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. And, I mean, that went out the door on issue number 12. But, I mean, the Justice League Beyond is based in the, the animated universe, so it's not even New 52. And Injustice Gods Among Us isn't New 52 either. It's in its own continuity. Okay. So, as far as, like, the New 52 stuff, I don't even touch it anymore, really. I, I, did, I read, uh, I'm sorry, Batman Eternal. I've checked out I, some of those. I'm two issues behind on Batman Eternal, but I'm reading that, and it's okay. Yeah. Um, I I, I kind of like where, it, where the story's going. I just, a weekly comic, a weekly Batman comic, just, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't feel right to me, but I'm reading Batman. I'm reading um, Swamp Thing, but I'm about done with it because it's kind of gone sideways. I stopped uh, after uh, after Snyder left Swamp Thing. It, and yeah, well, and I thought I, 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 le- I left uh, the main Batman title after the end of Death of the Family. After Joker fell off a cliff. Wow. <laughs> Could there be a more cliched ending to a fight between Batman and Joker than Joker falling off a cliff and no body being found? Yeah. But I guess, please. I, I get it. I get it. But I still, I, there are two comic books that I will never stop reading unless they stop publishing them. And that is Batman and Spider-Man pretty much, you know, they're, they're flagship titles. So, but I'm reading Batman Swamp Thing, but I, I'm like you, I'm about ready to give it up. Scott Snyder did a wonderful job with it. And then it just kind of died. Um, oh yeah. With that Yannick Packard art. That was awesome. Oh. That was oh, that was stuff. great. The whole Rot World story with uh, Jeff Lemire's Animal Man, the crossover, I loved that. I thought it was really good. But after that, it just kind of fizzled out and didn't really have anywhere to go. Yeah, a couple years ago, right after the New 52, I think they were only like three months in, I uh, went to Wizard World Austin and saw a panel with Capuello and uh, Paquette uh, talking about how they draw for Scott Snyder. And that was very, very interesting. And you, you, you can really see <laughs> see how they translate his words differently and and whatnot but yeah dc so and then i'm finding myself reading a lot more marvel than i have in a long time i mean pretty much in the 80s i mostly read marvel and now i think i'm reading more marvel titles than i did then um and one that i'm really enjoying is amazing x-men um 
which yeah. led which led into the Nightcrawler. Is that just a mini series that Claremont did, or is it going to be a full? No, I, I'm pretty sure it's an ongoing. At, yeah. at least as ongoing as anything is anymore. But... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Marvel now 4.0. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's even more Marvel nower. Um, <laughs> more nower. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I really enjoyed that. I like anything that Jason Aaron's writing. I I I, I first I I may have read him before, but the first time I took notice was when he launched the first version of Wolverine and the X Men, and I have noticed that uh, his writing on Hulk and and all the other titles that he's launched uh, or been a part of, I've really enjoyed the story. Did you read Scout? I did not read Scout. Oh, you should. Man. If you like Jason Aaron, I mean, that's the first yeah, thing that's I read your, by him. And, that'd be up your alley. Yeah, you would okay. dig it a lot. It's like an HBO yeah. uh, series in the comic. I'll check it out. Um, and, I mean, it's weird. Is One of the things I used to hate about Marvel was how they had so many X titles. It was like, why? Why do we need this? But I'm, with the exception of the adjectiveless title X-Men book, I'm really enjoying all the X titles that are coming out right now. They've done a pretty good job lately of keeping them separate. You know, there hasn't been, I guess Battle of the Atom was the last crossover, but that was mainly with books that Bendis was writing, and it kind of made sense the way they they crossed over. But the other ones have, have stayed, for the most part, pretty separate. So if, you, if there's a particular book you like, you could kind of just read it and not feel like you're getting sucked into this crazy continuity thing. Right. Yeah, the only X book I've been checking out lately is the Magneto um, monthly. Um, that's I, funny because that's I haven't read that one at all. It's it's really good. Huh. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. I only read the first issue and it was good. I just haven't haven't. I mean, I don't even know how far it's in, but the first one I remember I liked it. It just seems that that's the one complaint I have, even though they've been good. Is Marvel is suddenly launching all these solo titles, yeah. and and yeah. and. And then the next thing I know, it's it's Thursday morning, and I find my wallet with a smoking gun bleeding out with a suicide note on the floor. So, I, I, I mean, I can't buy them all, Marvel. I just can't. <laughs> I think some One things thing... have really benefited from the reboot. Uh, the, the, I don't want to use the word reboot, but like the relaunch and the shuffle, you know, of, title, of uh, talent and titles. I mean, like the Avengers uh, um, comics, you know, the core Avengers comics that I'm reading are... I think they've really benefited from the Marvel Now stuff. But like you said, there are a lot of spinoffs that just die on the vine. Um, some things like, I know Secret Avengers has been rebooted like three or four times now. Um, yeah. It's, it's getting kind of out of hand. Well, I kind of like this last version of it, um, but it's not something I would recommend to be part of your serious 616 reading. It's, it's almost a caricature of itself. Um, so it's fun to read, but it really doesn't tie into anything that you want it to tie into. Got it. You Rich, did you pick up the Cyclops number one? No, um, I, I don't think so. That one's by Greg Rucka. Um, and the art is by Russell Dowderman and the, the art's okay. Like it's not bad, but it's not great. Uh, but it was a really cool story. I mean, if you like Corsair and you like the Star Jammers and you like the the young Scott Summers uh, that they brought forward, it's it's a pretty cool story. I was uh, I was, was surprised it, that I would like it. Was that the one where he met his father? Well, it, it, in Battle of the Atom, they or they no, it wasn't that one. 
kind of end. No, it wasn't Battle of the Atom. The, in all new, or maybe it was Battle of the Atom at the very end. He decides. Yeah, it was because he decides at the very end of that to go off with uh with Corsair right. to go off with his father, um to get to get to know him. And I remember and, reading that. Yeah, so that I think that was in all new X Men. Um, okay. Or it was whatever the last part of Battle of the Atom was. So this kind of picks up from there, uh, and it was really so like surprisingly well done. Uh, you know, like I said, Rucka's writing, so that's you know obviously that's a big, that's a big plus. But uh, well, that's probably the only reason that I would read it because I'm not a big Cyclops fan, and uh, but I am a Rucka fan. So he's one of those characters that depends on the writer, like. Um... Absolutely. Like, uh, like Reed Richards, you know, like some guys can really write Cyclops well. Like I, I know Whedon had a really good lock on, on Cyclops and some people just kind of don't have a handle on him at all. You know, it just really depends on who you're, who's writing. I could definitely see Rucka like doing the character justice, not just writing as a typical you know, dickhead that they usually portray him as. Yep. Something I wanted to mention real quick before I forget since we're on the Marvel tip. Um, should we talk about this Tempest in a teapot over the Fantastic Four? Yeah, I was gonna find a find a spot to break and talk about that, but now's as good as time as any. Russ, I think you have some notes and everything, so go ahead and uh, bring bring us uh, bring us everyone up to speed. Well, it, it's it sounds like there's two things going on. There's there's one. There's been a couple articles. Bleeding Cool put it out there. CBR picked it up and gave it some legitimacy that Marvel's going to be canceling. Fantastic Four, and then the Ultimate FF. Um, and some of the logic behind it is they don't want to promote Fox's Fantastic Four movie, uh, and that has a lot to do with it. Uh, and then, I guess it was today, it came out that uh, Rob Liefeld, of all people, who claims to have uh, all this great insight into the inner workings of the Marvel merchandising and um, advertising machine, uh, says that that basically it's a Fox thing that, you know, there's a reason that there's no toys for X-Men Days of Future Past that, uh, you know, they are shutting out Fox. They're promoting everything else that there's a good chance. And this is what really threw me threw me off to kind of call BS on this thing is he said, well, Sony is looking to maybe partner back to have Spider-Man show up in Avengers 3 because of the lackluster box office of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man number two. And if if you consider seven hundred million dollars global uh, underperforming or disappointing box office worldwide after five weeks, then I don't know what is a success. I mean, what, what do you consider successful um, if seven hundred million is no good? I I am calling serious BS on all this. I, I could I, I just don't see Marvel purposely sabotaging Fox's movie engine out of spite because I don't know what the details are behind profit sharing or revenue sharing or any of that kind of stuff, but I've got to believe that Marvel makes some money on the gross receipts of these movies that even though they sold the rights to the movies to, to, you know, for the Spider-Man stuff to Sony and for the X-Men and fantastic four franchise to Fox, that they're not just like, I don't think they were just given like 10 million bucks up front. And then, you know, Marvel walked away. I'm pretty sure there's some kind of revenue deal in there. And for Marvel to purposely sabotage that stuff seems kind of silly to me. Um, 
and I, I, I think if they if they cancel, I mean, the ultimate stuff right now, I think, is kind of a mess. I mean, I think at this point it's terrible. It, yeah. The, the glory days of the ultimate universe are gone and they've they've I, I, I give them credit for doing some really drastic and very bold things in that universe that I mean, it, it, it it's not the same as it was in the beginning by far. And I think they're they're trying and they keep trying and the sales numbers just aren't there. And I could see it going away. That and the fact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe borrows a lot from the Ultimate Universe. So the two of them have kind of merged into one for the most part. Uh, so I think it's kind of on life support to begin with. The main Fantastic Four story uh, and, and uh, book isn't really selling all that great in in the you know the the six one six equivalent. So now, do you know how it was doing when Hickman was writing it? Like it it, it was pretty. I, it was doing. I thought it was doing better than it is now that Robinson took over. I I believe that's true. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, do it, it was doing better. I don't have exact sales numbers, but I know it it was doing better. Um, it was more. It was well received. I think that that maybe has something to do with it. There well, I, mean, I there was a lot of sales generated for Hickman's run on Fantastic Four because of all the hype around the death of uh, Johnny Storm leading yeah, up but... to it and beyond it. I mean, I remember going yeah. to the comic book store that day during lunch, which means that they'd only been open for an hour and they were already sold out of the 50 copies that they had or whatever. So, yeah, you know, and I mean, it seemed to continue as a trend that fell off a little bit for a few months, but, um, I remember it was, you know, I made sure that that was on my pull list so that I was to, able to get a copy of Fantastic Four each month. Yeah, I mean, I, th that certainly caused a huge spike, but I think in general the, the numbers were, were a lot higher than they are now. Um, and I don't think everybody's been real happy with it since Hickman left. I'm not. So No, I'm yeah, not I mean, either. And it's interesting, too, because the storyline now is called The End of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, and, and I just read the recent issue like five minutes before we got on together tonight, and it's just making it, although it was kind of cool to have a little bit of a trip down a memory lane in that issue, it's just, it's it's dribble. It's, it's I, I wouldn't line a birdcage with it. I'm not happy at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, Robinson's kind of like in the Jeff Loeb zone, either knocks out of the park or just doesn't yeah. quite get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but is this... I mean, is this a an original, this was all in his mind, or was this kind of a roadmap given to him for the Marvel Nower stuff, and he just filled in the blanks? Cause hard I, to say. Because I, I mean, can't see him writing this bad. I don't know. I mean, Robinson usually, from what I understand, is pretty, he's got a story in his head, and, and usually that's the, the route he goes. Or he gets pretty frustrated. I think that's that's one of the reasons why he left DC. They they really handcuffed him on his uh, on his Justice League run, where they gave him all the second tier characters and didn't let him do what he wanted to do. But but kind of getting back to the to the story at hand, I think if Fantastic Four gets quote unquote canceled, I think it's because the book is selling you know crap and or it's it's something organic like they have some big event plan. I haven't been reading it, so I can't comment, but. You know, maybe there's something organically story-wise that's going on that would lead them to have that book go on hiatus. I mean, I, I just don't see them. Well, the other thing, too, is comic readers don't create 
moviegoers and moviegoers don't create comic readers. So there's there's almost no correlation there. Therefore, I mean, if, if that were the case, Iron Man would be the greatest selling comic book on the face of the planet because those movies make bajillion dollars every time they're released. And Iron Man doesn't sell very well compared to to the rest of the, to a lot of these other titles. So I, I I just I don't see them them doing it, and I don't see it having any impact if they did. Um, I could see them de-emphasizing, but I don't see them like maybe yeah completely like wiping it out or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird conspiracy theory, and a lot of it I heard was, was started and based on the the seventy fifth anniversary art that they saw at the retailers convention that didn't have the Fantastic Four in it. You know, it had like pretty much every other Marvel character, but not not them, which is kind of weird and, since that's where it all started. You know. Yeah, but I, I mean, think I think some of it's sign of the times too, right? I mean, yeah, what's 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 very popular in the comics right now? I mean, Avengers, the Hickman Avenger stuff is popular and selling pretty well. I mean, Infinity was pretty well received so far. The original Sin stuff seems to be fairly well received. Spider-Man is kind of at an all-time high, which Sony owns for, from from a live-action perspective. So, I mean, if this were true, I can't see them doing it just for Fox and not for Sony. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just don't see them saying, you know, we have a beef with Fox because they own the X-Men and Fantastic Four live-action rights, but Sony's fine. I just I just don't buy that. Well, I, I don't buy that at all. Now, I'm reading an article on escapistmagazine.com right now, and it mentions, I'm reading about the Fantastic Four cancellation. And the last thing it mentions here, and I haven't heard of this yet, is complicating matters further, Marvel is currently building towards a supposedly major crossover event called Time Runs Out in 2015 right. th- that some are speculating right. will lead to a reboot of the entire Marvel Universe and a merger with the Ultimate Universe. Well, it kind of, um, I mean, there's kind of some of that going on in the uh, adjectiveless Avengers right now where they're kind of, yeah. they, they messed up the time gem and they're kind of right. time hopping. I mean, old. I don't know if you guys read that issue or not, you know, old Hawkeye beats the crap out of Tony Stark for, that was, that for was screwing awesome. up the future. Yeah, that was that was pretty great. Um, but yeah, the retailers convention that they had recently also, they also had the time runs out. Evidently the books are going to jump forward. I think they said eight months. Eight months. Yeah. And then, uh, then they'll lead up into the time runs out thing, which is, I don't know. I mean, we've seen, we've seen time jumps before in the comics. I mean, it's not like a huge new thing, but we haven't really seen a universe wide reboot, like, uh, you know, a DC style on the Marvel side. So, I mean, part of me doesn't think they're going to do it. But part of me also is seeing that they're doing some pretty drastic things with the universe that are equivalent to kind of what DC was doing before their revamp. I mean, they did some pretty crazy stuff with the Superman books where they pretty much went back on all of the the post-crisis um, John Byrne-related stuff. They brought all those Kryptonians forward. They were just doing some weird, you know, stuff. I enjoyed that, though. That I was liking yeah. that stuff as it was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was kind of lukewarm, but I see them, you know, especially with the X-Men titles where they're doing just kind of weird, you know, bringing the younger group forward in time and not letting them go back. And just they're they're kind of putting, you know, themselves in positions with certain storylines to where it's going to be hard to unwind this stuff. Um, So that that kind of looms over my head a little bit. But I just I, I don't know. I mean, with with all of the work that they're doing with 
these creative teams and creative runs and stuff like that to, to wipe it all out and start over again when the books are selling relatively well. seems kind of odd. I mean, with DC, it was like sink or swim. I mean, they had so many books in the toilet at that point that if they didn't do something, they were, they were going to be in real trouble. But I just, I, you know, and then the argument was made in that Liefeld article that, oh, there are no toys with X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, I don't recall seeing first-class toys. There weren't. I looked yeah. it up because yeah. that was my first thought when I saw it. I was like, well, they didn't have them for first-class either. I mean, it's not a, I mean, that's not a smoking gun by any means. And, well. I mean, and plus, I mean, I would question how inside Rob Liefeld really is anymore with that. Well, that's my whole editorial. thing, yeah. He's kind of, I mean, other than the fact he created Deadpool. You know, I mean, I don't see any other connection between him and Marvel editorial anymore. He's not, you know. Well, it's not even editorial. I mean, this, you're talking about the marketing machine of Disney. Right. <laughs> uh, to me, De- Deadpool's the only good thing that ever came from that man. I have never been a fan of his. I feel that he has put a black mark on the comics industry more than one time uh, in his career. And I'm just... I. I, I put no stock in anything he has to say. 30-second story. Uh, my very first New York Comic Con, the only spot on the entire floor that was empty was the spot in front of his table. Yeah. He had, like, a big end cap table. And I was like, the, I, I walked, I'm like, why isn't there anybody standing here? Everywhere else is crowded. And I looked up, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, also on the whole toys thing for X-Men First Class and Days of Future Past, I mean, would you really consider those movies as targeted to children as much as... Drug-addicted Charles Xavier with shooting yeah. action, you know? I mean, here's 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 Logan's butt, <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm just... Yeah. I, 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 I mean, while there are adolescents seeing it, I doubt it's uh, um, very much marketable for a toy line for children. So I just, I wouldn't see, now I could possibly see some sort of collector merchandise coming out on the direct market in comic book stores and whatnot, but not, not actual toys you run to Walmart or Target for. Yeah. And I think the, the X-Men have kind of had their heyday with that. And I think from a retailer perspective, they're probably like, look in the, in the nineties, it was all X-Men toys all the time. I mean, that whole toy biz thing was all X-Men. I mean, they had every X-Man out there as a 6-inch and a 12-inch figure. I know I've got um, about half and they of were... them right over my shoulder here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, and they're flooded. And then when that kind of died out, that market went away. And so I think, you know, a lot of times with retailing and stuff like that, those those people have long memories. And, you know, they're going to remember, oh, 10 years ago we, or 15 years ago, we couldn't sell any of that crap. And, you know, so they're not going to want it. What sold those um, toys, though? I mean, if you think about what sold those toy, the Toy Biz X-Men toys plus the cartoon. More yeah. Than oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at the toys that came out with for X1 and X2, uh, they're not nearly as collectible or as popular as the ones that were for the They're cartoon. snoozers. Yeah. Nobody wants, you know, like I said, you know, Charles and Xavier with rolling wheelchair action, you know, or... <laughs> Um, or, or five or six X, X-Men who all look like they're dressed the same in black leather. I mean, exactly. And that, that's my thing with yeah, it. I so. mean, John made a, you know, made a comment that, well, you know, the Sentinels would be kind of cool and all the future stuff, you know, uh, Sunspot, Iceman, uh, Colossus, Blink, uh, and Bishop. And, and I agree, but that's a really small set. I mean, when you can't make 
action figures out of your most pop out of the the characters that actually have the screen time in that in that movie that's a tough sell um and i i just i just think it's not i, I mean you guys correct me if i'm wrong cuz i mean we spent time in different parts of the country um, I'm, I'm kind of in a rural area in Texas, so it's kind of hard for me to, to justify, although I do spend a lot of time in Austin and, and a lot of time in Houston, but it just seems like for, for these movies, like when it, even when the Avengers came out or Captain America or Thor or Spider-Man, you'd go to the toy section and it's the same stuff you see week in, week out. Like, I don't see that stuff moving. No, nope. not like. Not like when it, not like what it was like when my kids were little and we're, you know, again, that whole heydays of the 90s and the X-Men cartoon where, you know, you're having to go to the toy shop and pick up $15, three and a half inch uh, Gambit figure. The, mar- because... the market's really cooled off a lot. Yeah. It's not just that. The quality is crap. The Amazing Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man 2 toys, just the uh, little three and a quarter or however big the little small figures are. They look like they're made at one of those uh, Japanese, we don't pay attention to copyright at all, uh, sweatshops overseas. I mean, it's like two colors, and you can see flash from the mold on them and stuff. And I'm like, that, and they're selling them for six bucks a piece. And I'm like, that. I, I'm not paying any money for that. These look like crud. Um, recently, in the last year or two, I have gotten into i've revived my lego habit and i've been buying a lot of lego and i'm finding more enjoyment in buying the licensed superhero stuff through lego than i am any action figures or any of that uh that's being put out there now even some of the repop stuff that they're putting out for the star wars lines and things like that it just looks terrible i would i would also meant i would also say that um you know the toy collection market not only is cooled but it's kind of splintered i mean some people on one end, you have people who buy the hot toys, you know, the super detailed, you know, high end yeah, toys. Right. So, I mean, like Dan Ashland you know, collects those, Pat Loika does, you know. Then you also have like the, the, um, the, I mean, when McFarlane came with action figures in the 90s, they didn't have very much articulation, but the sculptures were insane. And I, you see a lot of that in like NECA and like the aftermarket, like the, um, the previews type toys or whatever. And then you have the lower tier that Chubb's talking about that are trying to sell to kids. It's not like, like, Russ was saying, you know, when we'd go to the Toys R Us and say, you know, hey, there's, you know, there's the new Star Wars uh, green, you know, print, you know, slave layer or whatever. Um, you know, the the toys that collectors are buying, they're buying through previews or they're buying online. Uh, I don't think as many of them are going to Target or Walmart to get them. And those are, you know, skewing younger now, like you said, Lego or I, Superhero Squad, you know. Or, yeah. Well, and they're, they're pricing themselves. I mean, I know we've kind of tangented off the, the main topic, but they're kind of pricing themselves out of the market too. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're looking at a three and a half inch star Wars figure and it's $10 when not that many years ago, those things were like five and $6. I just, I got to the point where I was like, there's some cool stuff, but I can't do it. And I've, I've started getting, I will say this though. The black series figures are really good. I um, I, I agree. Yeah. I've got, those are very well done. I've got the uh, Leia and Luke and the Darth Vader from that. They are awesome. Yeah, and I've I've relegated myself to just the six inch ones. I'm not getting the three and a half, but um, but the sculpts and stuff are are very well done. But but again, I you know the argument of no toys, I don't think really lends itself. Um, you, you know, when you look at a movie like Avengers or Captain America or Thor, I mean, you're talking about characters that are wearing very flashy costumes. 
that, you know, especially with Avengers, I mean, you're talking about multiple heroes. They're more comic booky uh, than things like X-Men. I mean, you know, and again, it doesn't lend any cre credence in my mind because you're seeing Amazing Spider-Man 2 toys out there. You're seeing, you know, a, a lot of Spider-Man related stuff. So I, I just don't understand why Fox would freeze out one studio over another. And I, I just don't see it as a valid argument. I will tell you, what's that Japanese, they, they do all the statues, it starts with a K, Kayoko. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a few of their pieces, I always butcher their name. I would I would pay very good money right now for a for them to come out with a Blink statue. I, I mean, oh, yeah. I would love to have that. A Blink statue that maybe has one of the Sentinels' arms coming through it or something. That'd be cool. I, I could only ever afford one of their toys, and it's a Boba Fett. Yeah, that's the only one I could afford. <laughs> I can't justify paying hundreds of dollars for a toy. Well, I've anyway. got a few of them, and then of course I've got the Batman that came with the Sony game, the or the uh, Arkham game. Ah, nice. So, what do we think? I mean, collectively, are we calling? We think you know, as it's, MythBusters would say, this myth is busted. Yeah, or... I busted because it's it's dubious at best. Yeah, I I think they're taking two something that's, in my opinion, something that's more coincidental than anything else, and they're relating something that's unrelated to it. Uh, but that's that's just my opinion. I just like I said, I don't I, I I put this on Facebook in a couple places. I don't see Marvel cutting off their nose despite their face. I, I just really don't. I, I agree. Well, and those X Ma films start with the little flipping pages of. The, you know, Marvel Entertainment. So sure. you, with their stamp on it, you know that they're involved in the production somehow. They may not be part of the day-to-day -day and the post stuff, but as far as the marketing machine and different things like that, they're, they're, they've they got stake in it, and I guarantee you they're making good money off of it. Problem solved. Yeah. Now, I am, um, I am in full support of them canceling this Fantastic Four run, though. I'll just yeah, I'm with you. that. It's it's actually even worse than Man Fractions, which is saying something. Yeah, Fractions another one of those guys I think that's like hot and cold for me. I yep. mean, some of the stuff he does is really top notch, and some of the best you know the best stuff I read, and then some of it is just like man, I just I just don't get it. Like it's just I mean, you look at his Hawkeye stuff, and to me, it's brilliant. Like I I absolutely love it. Yep. But then you know I've tried to read that Sex Criminals, and it's just like I. I think I might have said this before. I want to. I want to give him a big hug for Immortal Iron Fist, and I want to punch him in the face for Defenders. <laughs> yeah. You know, but at the same time, because those are yes. two of my favorite comics of the seventies, and he totally aced one and totally screwed up the other one. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah, the Defenders wasn't even recognizable as a Defenders comic. No, uh, no. All the characters were. Uh, let's not go off on that tangent. Let's talk about <laughs> new comics. That's why we're here, right? Yeah. I got one that we we kind of were a little bit on the negative side for a while there. So I let's bring it back positive. And I think this is one I know, Jim, you've read and, and Rich, I, I'm I'm betting you've probably read it, too, um, is W. Hayden Blackman and Michael Del Mundo's Electra. Yes. Oh, best best Electra art since Sienkiewicz, really. Oh, my God. It's like I'm, it's like there's there's you know, there's my hierarchy of artists. This guy, I, I saw him do some stuff for um, Ashley for Valiant a while ago, and this is the first thing I've seen uh, him do for one of the big two. 
I'm, I'm not familiar with the artist. Familiar with the artist is probably I should be, but wow, Ugh, great, beautiful stuff. I have yep, not rem- read it because, d- despite being a huge Daredevil fan, um, I have never liked the character of Elektra. Never really appealed to me. It's if nothing else, Rich, you should get it to just look at it. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful book. If you did you did you read um his uh Batwoman with him and uh J. H. Williams? Nope, because Batwoman's another character that I can't stand. Ah. Well, it 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 has that sensibility to it. A lot of um double page spreads that tell a lot of story. It's not one of those books that has double page spreads where it's just a, for the artist to kind of show off. Well, I have a question. Um, he did, was was it uh-huh. pre or post New 52 you're talking about? Post. Okay, yeah, I definitely didn't like it cuz I did skim it. I just wasn't a fan. Yeah. Huh. I liked it. With this Electra book, I mean, I um, I'll pull out my HDMI cord, plug it in my computer cuz I get it digitally. Yeah. And just blow up the and put it and put the art up on my TV so I can really see it. It's just really nice. It's- it's awesome. I mean, it's. I mean, I. I think. I think he's going to be a contender for duties for this for 2014, and I think Electra Number One may be one of those like you know contenders for you know best single issue. Yeah, but, he uh, kind of sort. It's, it's cool the way he kind of sorts out the continuity in kind of a very artistic, yes, and, and pretty way. Yes. Um. I. I. I was dubious too because I mean, Electra is a character that's been used well, been used not so well, been overused, you know, and. Um, I was, you know, hesitant at first to check this out, but someone else recommended it to me, and I'm glad I did, because, uh, like, like I said, the art is just astounding. It's probably my favorite new artist since, like, Francesco Francavilla. Yeah. Um, it's almost like Electra back to her roots. Yeah. And... It reminds me a lot of Electra Assassin. Um, yes. By Sienkiewicz and Miller back in the day. Yeah. Um, it's got that kind of vibe to it, you know? It's kind of, kind of surreal, but not too crazy. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I liked it a lot. And it, it almost like acknowledging the good with the bad, like, you know, you get kind of a real like if you're not familiar with Electra, you could read this number one and you're all in. Right. Like you, you get. get you need. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, when you're talking about a, a good solid issue, a lot of number ones don't really convey that. OK, I'm a new reader. I'm picking this book off the shelf or I'm I'm picking it up off Comixology. And, you know, this is this is what I'm going to get. And I, I just I was really impressed with it. And then the fact that it ends with her. I mean, mild spoiler here, but uh, issue one ends and I haven't read issue two yet. Issue one ends with her basically jumping, you know, parachuting or whatever onto Monster Island. Right. Uh, was was really cool. It was. Um, I wanted to mention too another Marvel book is flying under the radar. A lot of people's radar. In fact, I didn't know about it until I saw um, Jim Starlin write about it on Facebook. Um, Thanos Annual Number One, huh? Jim Starlin script and breakdowns. Ron Lim on the art. So oh, wow. if you were into Marvel Cosmic or the Infinity War or any of that good stuff, um, this is for you. I mean, I, I I got a little you know nostalgic tickle in the back of my head reading it. Basically, what happens is um, Thanos dies um, from one of his encounters in the seventies or whatever with the Avengers. The Blood Brothers collect him. But instead of him coming back to life or meeting death or whatever, he ends up in Mephisto's realm. And he's just totally dejected. He feels, this is early in Thanos' career. Uh, he feels like a failure already and um, just, you know, tells Mephisto to do his worst. And at that point, um, another Thanos shows up. 
And it's Thanos yeah. from when Thanos had the Infinity Gauntlet. And basically what he's done is he's taken the time gem and looked through his entire timeline to see what his past, present, and future is uh, while he's in possession of the Infinity Gauntlet. You know, because he has the time gem, he's able to mute time or whatever. And he sees this version of his younger self and he realizes that this, he doesn't remember any of this. So it's kind of created this divergent timeline. It's kind of a... Um, it's almost like a primer in Thanos, and um, kind of a, a. It's very cosmic, and, and as you'd expect, and um, a lot of uh, Marvel continuity all through it, and it's just great. If you're a fan of the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade, that period, um, it kind of recaps some of that. Ron Lim still has it as an artist. It's really good stuff. Um, he's working with Starlin's script and breakdown, so it's just and you know Starlin created Thanos. Nobody knows the character better than him. So, right. um, it, it's a cool, it was a cool little aside story, you know, it's nothing essential or whatever, but it definitely gives you a lot of insight into the character. Yeah. I picked it up. I haven't read it yet. It's in my pile to read. I dig um, it. Does it, does it, um, does it tack on to the little mini series that, that ran last year at all? No, or? no, yes, it's okay. just, it's, 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 it's its own story. It has allusions to different parts of Thanos continuity like that. Okay. But because it's uh, it, it, it plays with time travel in a lot of ways, and it's a divergent timeline that, that occurs, and we see other like alternate Thanoses, we see things, possible futures for Thanos, um, famous you know, moments in, in, uh, in Thanos history, and it's kind of a, I don't know, Jim Starlin's love letter to the character in, in a lot of ways. Cool. You know, it's, it's, if you're into Thanos, check I it am. out. If huh. you're not, you might not. One of the things I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit because I love I love them so much, um, but I am woefully behind on East of West, Black Science, and uh, Saga and Manhattan Projects, and those are all books that I was getting physically, um, except East of West. I made the switch over East of West to digital, but I'm just behind uh, a few issues Can at this point. Can you tell me a little bit about East of West? I had a friend uh, that, uh, that was telling me I should be reading this comic, but he didn't oh really go much into it. So the, uh, the most basic level, it's about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, sweet. And it's, it's basically a divergent America where the Civil War went in a completely different direction. And because of that, the United States is divided up into like seven, I think it's seven different mm-hmm. territories. Yeah. Um, and each one has its own ruler and they, they all, it's, it's in the art, Nick Dragota does the art and it's, it's, and I think Frank Martin is the colorist and it's just the two of them on that book. It's one of the most gorgeous books out on the market. I mean, we, 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 you know, Jim and I sung Del Mundo's praises on Electra. To me, this book is just, it's just phenomenal how well, uh, drawn and colored it is it's it's striking yeah it's really good it's really uh really striking art and you got the the typical hickman cool weirdness going on so yes cool so um, i'll need to hit been, comicsology then i've been keeping up on black science but the rest have been kind of waiting for uh you know sales or for trades on uh, one of the two so but i'm really digging black science a lot now uh, i like it when, when rick remender gets to his pulp roots like I tried to read his run on Cap, and I really didn't appreciate oh, it. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, I didn't didn't like it at all. And I I really like. We keep talking about writers that run hot and cold for us. I guess Remender would be one. Uh, I didn't like what he did with um, Uncanny Avengers either, with the whole you know stealing Xavier's brain. That, 
Um, that book has really turned around, though. You no, know, lately it has, but I'm talking about, you know, early on where, you know, Red Skull was stealing Xavier's brain and just, I don't know, there's some, yes. some things in didn't like. Yes. But this is Remender coming back to his, like, pulpy science fiction roots, like Inferior Agent, uh, or, or, you know, the even to a certain extent, the End League. Um, and I really like it. And the art um, in Black Science is, is incredible. God, I wish I could. Yes. I'm going to have to edit this out now because I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, Mateo Scalera. Thank you. Mateo Scalera art in the in the book is insane. It's incredible. It's, it reminds me of like that, um, like the Richard Corbin stuff from the seventies and heavy metal, or Simon Bisley, or um, or, or Bernie Wrightson. That's just really illustrative yeah. style, you know. Um, it's, it's cool stuff. I like it. But uh, I love East to West, and, and I just I can't read everything though. So. <laughs> but you know, when it's yeah. on sale or traded, I'll I'll definitely catch up. I read the first uh, like four or five issues. Yeah, Black Science is one I'm behind. I read the first two issues, and it, it, I'm not not reading them because of lack of interest. It's just pretty much falls down to uh, dollars spent on comic book day. Um, but with Saga, Russ, you were talking about you, you, you need to catch up on that. Um, this very last issue that came out, um, time jumped ahead a little bit, and uh, it, it you really get a lot more perspective um, of what the overall political scene is between all these planets. I mean, it kind of fills in some of the blanks that are there, and um, again, Fiona Staples delivering immaculate and beautiful art see i'm not i I don't think it's bad i'm just not a huge fiona staples fan like yeah i think i think it fits well with that story you know i think for saga i think that's that she's a good pick for the artist now i mean i don't know if i'd want her on you know batman or something but i think for saga i think it, it fits really well and, and the thing that i really like that they do is is they take you know six issues go out they take a two or three month break. They don't make us have a fill in artist or right. anything like that. And that's, that's the way I wish all comic books could be, or at least, you know, for a good period of time, not having, you know, Oh, we're going to have so-and-so fill in this time. I'd rather wait for a book than have a, an abrupt jarring effect of, Oh God, this art is completely different. Right. Did you see Brian K. Vaughn left under the dome so he could focus more on, uh, his comic work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Under the Dome is crap. Yeah, it's one of those shows, not to get too far off, it's like I could take it or leave it, but for some reason it's like a train wreck or whatever. I just got to keep watching it. My, but. my mother rants and raves about it, so that tells me right there it's probably not that good. Nah. I gave it a chance. Have you guys, did you guys read the Shang-Chi book? Yes. Oof. It's sitting on my to-read pile over here. Okay, I need to preface this. I need to preface (laughs) this, okay? One of my favorite characters of all time in the Marvel Universe is Shang-Chi. When I was a kid, very young geek, learning to read in the 70s, I remember reading uh, Doug Mank and Paul Galassi on Master of Kung Fu. He's one of my favorite characters. And then when I saw this, I was just heartbroken. Because now he's he's a white dude, evidently. He looks like, um, what's yeah, his face from Maroon 5? Uh, Adam Levine. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to wonder, and I think John, we talked to John about that too, but, um, like, when did he become Caucasian? 
Um, and what's crazy is, well, A, I'm not, and Jim, we talked about this before, but Tan Ang Huat was the artist on X-Men Legacy, which we both, uh, it was like the only X-Book I ever in my career of reading X-Books uh, put put down and took off my pull list. I read all the, um, I read all the Marvel Now books um, when they first, the first wave of Marvel Now books to review for the website, and that was the only one I gave a one out of five to. That was just the worst. Ugh, I had pre-ordered the first three, and I I read one and a half, and then it was done. I mean, I just I oh, it's just so bad. And the uh, like I said, the art I did, I wasn't a fan of the art uh, as well as the writing. Um, but he's Malaysian. I mean, so he's he he is of Asian descent, um, and he didn't draw Shang Chi as in as as Asian looking, which I find very strange. But yeah, I was not. Uh, I'm not a huge Shang-Chi fan, but I do like the character, and I just like the martial arts aspect to it. And plus, but, I mean, Hickman just got done using him so well in Avengers. Yes. You know, that issue of him against the Gorgon, what was that number? Uh, uh, Secret number three? Secret Avengers number three, I think it was. Um, it, I mean, no, Avengers World. I'm sorry, Avengers World number three. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Shang-Chi versus the Gorgon. That was an awesome comic book, dude. Yes. So I don't know, not a not a fan of the tanging tanning uh, plot. The first time that I've, there's ever been a Shang Chi title that I'm not going to buy. I think it's just a mini, though. I th- I don't think it's an ongoing. And well, um, you know, I'm not. I don't think the new Iron Fist uh, book is as good as the Immortal Iron Fist. I'm still getting it. I, I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, that one. I'm not. I mean, I I I didn't I didn't dislike it, but I I didn't bowl me over either. Yeah. Um, it, it was just okay, mm-hmm. but I have a lot of catching up to do that, and I'm I'm kind of slipped behind on the uh, we talked about earlier the, the Batman Beyond Justice League Beyond and the Injustice uh, titles, and I'm I'm way 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 behind on Smallville, but um, but but good stuff. The Beyond stuff especially is just but both of those books are just really really well done, and when they raised the price on Batman sixty six, I was like I'm out. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, so. me too. But yeah, it's really funny. Like like I was saying earlier in the show, we used to read a lot of DC, and now all the DC we read is pretty much the digital stuff that isn't in New 52 continuity at all. That or yeah. I'm reading Vertigo titles. That's about it. Right, right. <laughs> I read Astro City. I love Astro City. It's one of my favorites. I just recently discovered Unwritten, and I'm on the third train oh, right wow. now. And yeah, we did I, a couple of the. I think we did the first two trades on. Uh, on the yeah. Show. I yeah. just I'm gonna have to go back and download those and listen because I don't know how I missed this comic because I am just enthralled. I I, I it sucked me right in. I love it. <laughs> um, that and the the um, fables books, both of them. I just recently started reading the trades. I'm about on the sixth or seventh trade of fables, and. I just, why did I not read this stuff before? I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I was getting those from the library for a while, and I, I think I got to like the 10th or 11th trade on Fables, and then Jack of, I was caught up with Jack of Fables. I think I read one trade past the crossover uh, between the two of them, and yeah. then that third book that they started. I think that was where I stopped. That's about where I stopped, too. I read, I read uh, like, the, when they started the literals. That was about the time I got out. 
Yeah. Well, in stock trades had a big sale with their their uh, books. I don't know. It's about four months ago, I think. And I picked up the first five Fable trades then, oh. and I've been buying them when I can. <laughs> I think it's done. It is. No, we did. It. I don't think it's done. Jack of Fables is done. I think though. No, but I think Fables, if it's not done, then it's really close. I think 150 was it. I think that was the last oh, issue. okay. Yeah, remember we did the first few trades on uh, Legion uh, Dudes, Long Box of Dudes yeah. as well. So. Well, Yeah, Fables ending at 150. And since we're talking about comics that we're currently reading, this one's a little outside the normal uh, of the big two and the indies that we read, but if you're a Star Trek fan... The IDW series, uh, the ongoing series of Star Trek, has just been great. It uh, it picked up right where the first movie left off, and they've done uh, reboots or different um, versions of stories from the original 66 series. And, um, and then they've continued on, tied it into the second movie. Um, and if you're a fan of the of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek universe, pick this up. It's It's really, really good. Cool. Cool. I, uh, I'm reading, I guess... reading the new Warren Ellis book uh, from Image Trees. I got the first issue of that. That was very interesting. Hmm. I read that today. Uh, these giant columns drop down from space. And uh, evidently, you know, they're of intelligent design, but they don't even notice human existence at all. They just kind of tap into the world and inject this waste uh, around them. And it's 10 years after they've landed and, you know, they've tried to contact them. They tried to nuke them. You know, they do all these different things. And it's basically how people are dealing with these giant alien columns, uh, you know, poking out of the planet in random spots. Do you think that it's it's an alien race basically tapping the planet for resources? Something like that. Or dumping that, all the Because that's, you know, like it's yeah. a sewage pipe. You know, it could be a sewage pipe for an alien race. Yeah. Because it expels that goo or whatever, right? Yeah. But it was an interesting book. The art was kind of reminiscent of DMZ for me. Um, I don't know. It was okay. I'll check it out. I usually like Warren Ellis. Yeah. I guess I have a comic-related thing. I guess we didn't uh, we didn't specifically talk about it, but uh, I, I, I recorded the panel for the S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, but I was at Comic Palooza over Memorial Day weekend. And I think this is the the fourth time or the fifth time. I think it's the fourth time that they've had the convention in the George R. Brown Convention Center. Um, and they've actually renamed it the Texas International Comic Con. So I think they're I think they're trying to up up their street cred or their con cred uh, with this one. And every year I see that it appears more and more people are coming. I didn't, I, I need to look and see what the actual attendance numbers were for this year, but Saturday was crazy crowded. Um, not, and the cool thing, I know I've talked about this in the past about that con is there's plenty of room to walk around. The aisles are extremely wide. Uh, so even when it's really crowded, you're not, you know, elbow to elbow and shoulder to shoulder, uh, people like you are at a lot of other cons. And there's a ton of area to, you know, sit down or, you know, shuffle your stuff around or, you know, just, just relax or whatever, where you're not feeling like you, you know, you can't, you can't find a place to be. 
Like, um, like New York. Yeah, yeah, it's like the anti-New York. Um, but the George R. Brown is a huge convention center in Houston, and this year they actually put all of the main stuff on the the first level. Um, and and the, the convention center kind of has areas that are sectioned off. So you have... Um, and and it's kind of a weird con because they do like roller derby indoor, they do wrestling, they do uh, like sword fighting uh, demonstrations and stuff like that where they you know teach little kids how to sword fight. It's really cool. And then they have the segment that's all of the dealer stuff, which this year they had a lot more dealers, um, retail dealers than in any year past. And it was a, there was a lot more comics. Uh, actual comic specific vendors i think that i've seen in in years past um but there's a lot of really cool other vendors you know selling you know i mean there's typical toys and stuff but there's other vendors selling just really cool like costuming stuff and they had a huge section set up for MakerBot stuff uh which is really cool there's there's a couple large organizations in houston that are really interested in teaching kids um how to you know use the cad software and make your own stuff with the with the 3d printers it's big here too uh carnegie mellon has a big outreach with the 3d printers to schools yeah so it's it that so that was really cool just checking that stuff out um and then they have the artist alley section um which was cool it's funny buzz uh from you know if anybody's listening to comic geek speak the artist buzz was there working the uh uh, Art Adams, not Art Adams, Neil Adams uh, table, which I thought was funny. Oh, that so would be cool. Hang out with those yeah, two I went guys. Up and, yeah, I just went up and just kind of said hi, and his table's pretty, Neil uh, Neil Adams, his stuff stays pretty busy. Um, but uh, Greg Capullo was there, which he's always uh, he's always cool. I, I walked by a few times, and he was either in panels or – I know Sunday he was running late, so I didn't get a chance to see him then. Um, and all – and then on the, on the third floor – so the second floor was all registration stuff, and the third floor is where all the panels were. So they had a you know, huge uh, auditorium-style thing for the main panels, and then there are just a ton of other smaller – rooms that they could change different size and configuration to do other panels, which is really nice because then you don't have to, you know, I know at the wizard world con in Austin, the first couple of years, they were real bad about having these panels where they were just, just um, had a curtain separating the two. And if one panel got really loud, you couldn't hear anything going on in the other panel. Uh, so it's really good that they're all kind of segmented off uh, and everything. And the shield panel was, was huge. It was a big success. Um, since we had press passes, the cool thing was they actually set up a little press area inside the large auditorium and saw me in line and actually uh, pulled pulled us out of line and let let me go in and set up and set up the camera and the audio and all that kind of stuff before everybody else got in, which I haven't really seen that at, at another con. I mean, um, no, normally we're know, shoved the... to the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually, you know, having a press badge just means you don't have to pay to get in. I mean, usually you don't get any any other perks. Uh, so it was really nice that they, they were able to, to let us, you know, set up and do that. So that was kind of cool. Um, so, you know, big kudos to, to, those, to them there. The only negative I will say about this con is they've, and it, selfishly, it didn't apply to me because we had press passes, so we were able to just kind of basically go to the front of the line, you know, get our press badge, and then, and then carry on. But registration on Saturday, we got there about 11, 1130 on Saturday. 
it was a two to three hour wait to pick up your badges or purchase bad to purchase passes for for the con, which is kind of crazy. And a lot of it is it that's the longest I've seen it. The last couple years, it seems like it's been manageable around that time. The line to pick up badges. I mean, it's always been long, but not long like it was. So I don't know if maybe it was they didn't they truly didn't anticipate the demand uh, and the growth that this con is having. Um, but I think that's really something they need to work on because. I was at San Diego in 2007 uh, with 100,000 people. That was before we did the podcast. Uh, so I went in just like a civilian and had to pay for you know my admission and pick up my tickets. And it took me 10 minutes to pick up my badge at San Diego. Yeah. So I, I, I think they really need to, um, if I have any advice for them, it's, it's to really get that worked out and find a way to make that process a lot more smooth and maybe even do it you know, find an area outside or, or something to, to just allow more throughput because standing in a three hour line would be a real big deterrent for me. Well, and, and I don't think it's just a, a issue there. I think the Texas cons, the explosion that we've had in the last four to five years in Texas, they've just not been able to keep up with it. I mean, the Dallas comic con went from being a small little con in the Richardson courthouse area, to, uh, city buildings, uh, to the uh, Irving Convention Center, and now this year the Dallas Convention Center. And now yeah. I had a guest badge, so I didn't have to experience it at Dallas Comic Con. But, um, you know, I've met several friends from, from the area there, and they were telling me the same exact thing. It was two to three hour wait um, just to pick up badges they've already purchased. Right. And, right. and, and that's insane to me. And,. You know, I, I just wonder if, it, and that's another thing too, is uh, with Comic Palooza, it seems to have grown at a quicker rate than Dallas Comic Con has, and absolutely from, from what I've read in the numbers and everything else. And I think that at some point, one or the other of them, more than likely, the Dallas Comic Con is going to have to change dates. Uh, I was working Michael Rooker's table, and there were so many people. I was trying to upsell them on some different stuff for his autograph and things, and they're like, "No, because we only have this much budgeted for this weekend because we're going to Comic Palooza next weekend." Um, yeah. So th I I think that you know Dallas Comic Con missed out on several dollars because of Comic Palooza being the next weekend, and then vice versa. Comic Palooza probably could have got a few more dollars had. Dallas Comic Con not been right before it, so I think that one or the other is going to have to give. I do have to say at the Dallas Comic Con that was the biggest crowd that I've ever seen. On I mean the Saturday was pretty typical, but the Friday, the preview stuff I've never seen a crowd as big as as that at a, at a Texas Con on a Friday night, and Sunday seemed almost as busy as Saturday did. So it was it was pretty insane. So, yeah, I think that Texas, you know, we went from five, six years ago, hardly having cons at all. Uh, Wizard World yeah. left and everything else. And now they're having record breaking numbers and they can't keep up with it. And the logistics are crazy. And uh, it's I, I some it, it needs to be under control. <laughs> and if, it, you know, if it's truly a, a matter of growth of of you know, unanticipated growth, then, you know, good for them. I mean, right. if they, you know, that, that's, that's a good problem to have. Exactly. Um, but I, I think, and I think people will be okay with it for one year, but I'm, I'm really hoping that next year they're going to handle on it. Cause it looks like, um, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia article on comic Palooza, which, you know, we all know how reliable Wikipedia is. 
but it shows the the yeah. So this this is the fourth year it was in the George R. Brown. Uh, so the first year it, the attendance is listed at ten thousand. The second year eleven thousand. Last year was twenty thousand. So like you know hundred percent growth almost. And I gotta say it has to be at least thirty to forty percent growth for this year. So if it was less than thirty thousand this year, I'd be really 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 surprised. And I I think a lot of it. Uh, you know, having the agents of Shield people there, having Clark Gregg and Ming Na Wen and uh, the rest of them from the actual cast there and doing a panel was was a big deal. I mean, I know that was a huge draw. Comparative to everyone else, the lines for autographs and signings and stuff uh, was was orders of magnitude larger for those folks than anybody else at the con. Well, and that's the thing too. Aside from Stanley, yeah, that's the thing too. Is is Comic Palooza had a lot more um, in the present, and more relevant guests there than Dallas Comic Con. Of course, they had Stanley, and then of course William Shatner, who's always there, um, and a few others. But I mean, it was they had the big Firefly reunion, the cast. They had the big uh, yeah uh, Star Trek Next Generation reunion of the cast, but. There were so many people that just, you know, that were less than 20 years old or they were right around age 20. They could give care less about either of those, um, you know, right. and then the stuff that was relevant. I mean, you know, uh, they had three Walking Dead there. They had Emily Kinney, Rooker and um, uh, uh, Morrissey. And they their lines were con- they never stopped. They never stopped. They were constantly out to the middle of the floor. And looking around, you know, the, I mean, the Star Trek got some love. I mean, they all did pretty well, but you could just tell there was a lot of people that just didn't even care. I mean, you could see LeVar Burton and Brent Spiner and Jonathan Frakes walking across the floor and no one's even looking at them. You know, normally yeah. celebrities walk across uh, con floors and they get mobbed. So, I, I, I over- to me, Comic Palooza, I don't know. I think next year, if I have to choose between that or Dallas Comic Con, I'm probably going to wait and go down to Comic Palooza. I, I highly recommend it. I've, I've been saying it for for several years now. I've been trying to get Brad and Frank and, and Bill down for it uh, because I really think it's a con that, especially Frank, like I really think it would be in his wheelhouse um, because there's there's a lot of cool stuff that isn't comic related that's there. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's a really, it's just, it's really well done. Like I said, for me, a lot of it is, um, the vendor stuff is, is really improving and the room, like the fact, like I said, that you could walk around a con and not feel like, you know, you're, you're elbow to elbow, you know, from the time you walk in until the time you leave is, is huge for me. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, that's a really big deal. Um, and there's a lot of places, like I said, to, um, to, to sit and rest. W- one of the things to quick to note last year, they did registration also on the second floor. And uh, I believe, cause I remember the, there was a big line and in the middle of the di- or towards the end of the day, I was able to, on the second floor, they got these little porthole windows uh, that you could go up and kind of get a bird's eye view of the con floor. And, you know, I usually go up there and take pictures just to see the floor layout and stuff like that. The registration lines and stuff were still active all day long, uh, even towards the end of the convention, that I couldn't get over there to to wow. take any pictures at all. So um, that's what I'm saying. Attendance this year has to be up in, in a big way. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what the numbers were. I've I've I did, I've done a couple of Google searches and I haven't come up with anything that that has any kind of reliable attendance figures. But uh, 
but I, I highly recommend it. I mean, it, we're kind of, you know, the, the Northeast has experienced this for a long time, but Texas is starting to come into like a, a bit of a renaissance period for cons. We've got Comic Palooza is getting bigger. The Dallas Con has finally moved to a, to a bigger facility. Um, we've got Wizard World Austin, which has been going for several years now. Wizard's also going to do a San Antonio show this year. Um, they're doing this thing called Capital City Con, which is another Austin-based con in, I think it's June or July that's coming up. A little bit of smaller convention, more focused on comic art. Um, and then there's another San Antonio show. I think it's called Alamo. Maybe that one's called Alamo City Con or something like that, uh, that they were advertising at Comic Palooza as well. So, you know, we're, we've gone from, I think one year there were no cons when after the da- other than the small Dallas shows. And at that time, like you said, Rich, they were in the Richardson Center, which was really tiny. 2009. Um, and it, 2009, there was one con in Texas in 2009. Yeah. And now that and was now, the Richardson. That was the Dallas Comic Con. And uh, there was supposed to be a Wizard World that year. And they canceled it a week or two before it happened. And I was so mad because yeah. I had bought the Stan Lee VIP package and everything for that. And uh, they canceled yeah. it like just weeks before. Yeah, and then they skipped the year and then they moved it. And that's when they did the Austin. They started the Austin version yep. of Wizard World. But, um, but you know, yeah, we've gone from one small show to now we've got, you know, we've got six or seven, you know, fairly decent sized shows. So. So we're we're finally getting to experience um, a little bit of what the what you know what the Northeast has, which I think is a yeah, is a the, great thing. Then my uh, our our hometown con has been horribly mismanaged to the point where the only like real con action we get around here is the toy and collectible con. Is the actual Comic Con? It's just go back and read my blog. <laughs> it's just like yeah, I, I've quit. I, I quit doing the uh, trivia contest there this year. Um, just because I'm I'm so unsatisfied with the way they're running it, it's just it's mismanaged, mishandled, wrong time of year. You know they they get like one or two name artists every year, and then that's it. And uh, it's, um, it's a big mess. I'm I'm glad you guys are finally getting some good ones out there. Yeah, but you get a good trade off and and uh, have the OG zombie walks there and whatnot. So that's true. That's true. And yeah, the. The zombie museum. I don't know if you've ever been, but the um, Monroeville Mall at Time and Space Toys, they have a zombie, a little zombie museum uh, in the back. And Monroeville Mall is where they shot Darn the Dead. So, um, but I live like five minutes from Monroeville. I can go there anytime. Sweet. <laughs> did, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have to wait to go to the con to do that. Did you watch Birth of the Living Dead on Netflix yet? I did, and I, I liked it a lot. A lot of it I already knew, actually. A lot of it's. Um, I don't know. We're pretty proud of our zombie heritage here in Perth. <laughs> we really are. I enjoyed that. That was a good yeah. documentary. Well, uh, com- any more comics uh, news, BS we want to get to here? Or? I think I'm tapped out. I'm, I am I know, I, like I said, I've got some catching up to do, but I didn't really have anything else, um, unless you guys have uh, anything. One last thing. Do you read Lazarus? I read the first issue, and I've been trade waiting on it. Okay. Uh, I kind of, I kind of have to read it. I'm friends with the artist, and so <laughs> I, 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 I like it, and it sounds a lot like a combination of that East of West, the way you described it, and then like a um, Firefly Western type situation. So, um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it was a good first issue. That's why I decided to trade weight. Yeah, 
And they they put out the first trade, but it's only the first four issues, which I thought was odd. But but yeah, it's 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 really good. Well, I think if we're if we're BS'd out, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Game of Thrones after we sign uh, off. Yeah, here. I've been watching some posts on Facebook as we're recording going Game of Thrones, oh my god. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll bring it home, Ross. All right, everyone. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Long Box of Doom um, on our uh, June BS show, since we're here at the beginning of June. Um, I know we've been been a little behind on our comics BS, so hopefully we have made up for it uh, for everyone. Um, coming up next, I'm not really sure what uh, what we got coming up next. I, I know we've got another Hickman FF that will... That will get out. Yeah, um, it's it's, plant, it's planting season here at the farm, so I'm a little behind, but it'll be out soon. Sorry about that. Mother Nature no, will not wait for me. Yeah, so we'll so we'll be getting to that soon. Meanwhile, there's tons of other content. If you go to hhwlod.com, you can check out all the cool stuff. We just did our Real Heroes episode on X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, which was the three of us, plus Mr. Jordan from Jersey was on that show as well. We'll be also, um, um, we'll have. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say we have a new Action Lab podcast coming out with an interview with Martheus Wade. Uh, awesome. Not only about Jedha, uh, uh, Tales of the Hoshigawa, but also his new book, uh, Shinobi Ninja Princess. So that's exciting. He's a great artist and a great guy. Yes. Yeah. Very, very solid. Uh, so that that's cool. Um, we're going to circle back around and catch up on Amazing Spider-Man 2 for Real Heroes since we skipped that. Um, and, of course, you can catch up on Out Now with Aaron and Abe for all the cool new movie stuff coming out. Um, I think Brad, Frank, and Bill are squeaking in episodes of Half Hour Wasted now and then. And, of course, the really big show, um, the, 20, the Black the Box. The 24 podcast, of the Jack and Chloe adventures. Uh, yes. The new Die Another, or, yeah, Live Another Day. Um, yes. series of events. Um, I know we're going to be doing some Walking Dead uh, commentary tracks pretty soon before the new season kicks off. Yes, and we got a contest winner to announce uh, for the first one as well, oh, so yeah. that's good stuff. Um, so you can leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. You can check out the Facebook, the Facebooks for, um, we've got groups and pages for Longbox of Doom for the network, so... And then check out our YouTube pay, uh, page. So if you want to catch that panel that I recorded live and in person from Comic Palooza for uh, the cast of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's about 35 minutes long. You can head to, to youtube.com slash network, um, And then you can also listen to the live Walking Dead show that we recorded uh, some weeks back. So um, lots of good stuff. Um, again, head over to hhwlod.com. You could send an email if you so choose at LOD at HHWLOD.com. Uh, so until next time, this is Russ with Jim and Rich. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Good night. <laughs>